opportunity to share the Word of God with you today. And so it's going to be a little bit different, which I know you say, Pastor, you say that every week, and I know that. And, uh, but but we're, if, you're not, if you're not able to attend our services on Wednesday night or you just hadn't chosen to attend our service on Wednesday night, I'm going to give you a little glimpse, a little glimpse into what one of those services or those teaching sessions might be like. And a few weeks ago, we began a series of teachings on the teachings of the Apostle Paul. The, uh, we're not calling it the epistles of Paul. We're simply the teachings or the doctrine of the Apostle Paul. And so many times on Wednesday nights, you choose to go just a little bit deeper than you are perhaps able to on Sunday mornings. However, for today, I'm going to take you into a little bit of that type of theology for just a moment. Now, I certainly am not a trained, uh, you know, academic student. I am certainly not a theologian. The only thing I've referred to myself occasionally is a hillbilly theologian. And that simply means is I recreate or create words that do not appear in a dictionary anywhere. And, uh, but beyond that, there is something in my heart that continues to, to grow. And what is that? It's a desire to know God through an understanding of the Word of God. Now, and I don't believe that you can have either uh, apart from each other. I don't think you can just commune with God without a knowledge of God. I think it takes both. And you can, uh, as you grow in your understanding of God and His redemptive purposes, then in my personal experience, it deepens my communion with God. It's as, as I behold His glory and I behold and learn more of His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ, how it causes my affection for Him to be uh, greater than it was even when I was younger in my faith. And my zeal for Him and my love for Him is deepened because I've understood, again, perhaps just a little bit more of his purpose that he purposed in Christ when he sent his son to die for us. Come on, somebody. Amen. Stand up with me today. We're going to read one verse of Scripture to get this process started. One verse. Now, that's not going to conclude the reading of Scripture, but we will, um, we will read uh, a few additional verses here in a few moments. Now, they're going to put some things on the screen for us here in just a little bit. We're going to do some definitions and such. I've got my giant 19 font Bible here on the platform. That's just where I'm at. And, uh, but, and it is the New King James Version, which is uh, a little new for me, but I'm, I'm working with it just a little bit. Romans chapter number 2, it's the 16th verse. It's on the screen in front of you. Read it here with me real quickly. It says, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, Notice these last few words, according to my gospel. So Paul here is promising that there's going to come a day of judgment upon the world. Um, and the secrets of men will be exposed at that particular time. There is a judgment seat. All will appear. We've talked about that in the past. The scriptures speak about it. But Paul said that this is a part of the gospel that he preaches. So today I want to I just share from this context the gospel according to Paul. The gospel according to Paul. So let's pray. Father, I love you. And if anybody is humbled to be here today, certainly I am because of the opportunity that you give me and the responsibility that you give me, but also because of the, uh, the depth of relationship and understanding of the people that I'm preaching to today. Father, that I'm not in a kindergarten class, God, in, uh, of spiritual growth. 
I'm amongst men and women that have a depth to them and they have an understanding. And it's going to take a revelation of the Holy Spirit, Father, for me to be able to share something that can edify and produce edification in their lives. So I ask that. It's been prayed for. Joe has already prayed for the hearts of the people to be prepared to receive the Word of God. And we are grateful for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As a little bit of a prelude, if I can, for just a moment of time, let me just talk to you before we go into the Scriptures, before we expose a few things. Doctrinally, um, let's take a minute to talk about the church in this context called the emerging church. If you Google search emerging church or the emergent church, you'll find that there's kind of a movement in Western Christianity that is, uh, in essence, radically altering the, uh, the, 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 not necessarily the growth of the church, but the health of the church or the overall uh, development of faith. And some view it very positively, some view it very negatively, some are kind of in the middle, somewhere along the line. And in essence, it, it, it derives its uh, basis from this, that, that we're in a new culture today. We're in a new culture today where the men and women that we're trying to reach perhaps do not have a biblical understanding. Many of them have been raised apart from, you know, you and I are in the Bible Belt, and that has helped us even when we were heathens. Come on, somebody. Amen. Uh, you may have still been a heathen in the sense that you did not know Christ as a young adult, but you may remember certain things that have been taught to you from uh, a grandmother or a vacation Bible school or something because the culture around you has helped foster that. But you know, this, if, if you go outside the Bible Belt, you'll notice a, a stark contrast. You will. You'll see uh, that the cultures in the Northeast, the cultures in the far western of the United States uh, are, are much different than they are today, or right here in our culture. And so thus what you're seeing is, is that emerging within what's called the emergent church is that we are so repackaging this thing that we call the gospel. We're so repackaging our uh, lingo and our language and even our doctrine that um, the purpose, the, the hopefully, the, the, if there is a correct ulterior motive, it is to reach people, that sometimes you have to ask your quest, the question, are you actually giving them the true gospel? And that's, that's, a, that's a debatable question, and I think so, that we have, to, we have to think about this, because I think, and this is my personal opinion, I'm just, before I get into the depth of God's word here, let me just say this, the one thing that I've determined I will not do is I will not sell you short. I mean, when I look out here amongst the people, I see a very talented group of men and women. I see a, very, a group of men and women that are studious in various different ways throughout life. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to people with, with bachelor's degrees, master's degrees. Uh, occasionally, there are those with doctorate degrees among us. Then we have those that are in the workforce that maybe they didn't go through the, 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 the school of uh, the university, but they've gone through training uh, they're, they're able to, you know, run equipment and fly airplanes. Come on, somebody. And then we bring you to church, and then we pretend like you can't, that you don't have the spiritual aptitude to know anything doctrinally of the Word of God. That, okay, the only thing I can teach you is something like this. Samson between two pillars. Or Noah built a boat. Flood came. Water. Everybody ran. Wiped away. Right? Like, I can't take you into the depth of the gospel according to Paul. Well, you know what? I'm not going to sell you, sell you short this morning. I'm going to believe that you have the capacity within yourself, that if you, if you set your heart to have a learning, come on, and a listening ear, and you set your heart to know the Word of God, that every one of us can grow in our understanding of the Word of God. 
I've said this many times on Wednesday nights, and I'll echo it again. In the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul prayed a prayer. I believe it's a perpetual prayer prayed for all believers everywhere. He said, I pray that when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. If that was not something that could be adequately answered, that it, it, that was something that, that it wasn't possible, then Paul has prayed and put an erroneous burden upon us. I believe that all of us have the capacity to learn of the things of God. Why? Why? You said, Pastor, I, you know, my, some of us among us may say, well, I don't have the mental aptitude. It's not about a mental aptitude. If you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, that you have the greatest revealer of truth, you have the one that will speak the word of God and quicken it and make it known to you. And I'm telling you, it's, a lot of it has to do with your heart's motive. If your motive is pure and you desire these things, then you're going to learn these things. You are. Well, in a few moments, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the third chapter of the book of Romans in a few moments. And we're going to go from the 19th to the 31st verse. Now, I'm going to take you on a small journey to get there. But when we do so, there's going to be several words that are going to appear. And this is kind of what we do on Wednesday nights. We're breaking these things down. We're trying to define them. I want to know what they mean. I've challenged the people on Wednesday night, and I'll challenge you today. Do you ever just do a word study? Do you ever get a concordance? Do you ever sit down at the computer and go to the Blue Letter Bible or Bible Gateway and begin to research the root words and what they actually mean in the original language, such as the Greek or the Hebrew, just for the singular purpose of just knowing the definition because your understanding of the truth that God is sharing out of the Scripture may hinge upon the depth of understanding based upon the definition of the Word. Let me give you a few examples. We're going to just begin to put a few of these here on the screen, and we're just going to walk them down. There's about 11 that we're going to just touch on real quickly. Well, I said it's the gospel according to Paul. That's what I'm talking about today. The word gospel simply means the good news. Deeper definitions means the good news of the glad tidings of the kingdom of heaven. How many of you know what we share every Sunday, no matter what it looks like, how we package it, at the core of it, it's good news. Come on, God offers us eternity through his son. That's good news, right? Let's go farther than this. Let's just roll them over here. Doctrine. Often you hear me use that term doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching, so that's synonymous so if you hear someone say, well, we're going to have a doctrine today, it means we're going to be teaching instead of necessarily preaching. Let's further. The law, just for a moment. Some say, well, I don't really understand what the law means. The law in the actual original language is the Torah. And it means the first five books of the Old Testament. Just so you'll know that. The first five books. But the usage of it is expanded in the text that we'll choose today in Romans chapter number 3. And it's more than just the five books. Paul actually speaks of that if the Gentiles keep the righteous requirement of the law, that their actions become a law to themselves, even though they are not necessarily fulfilling the five books of the Old Testament with its 613 commands. They might even be unaware of those 613 commands, but they're in essence doing, they've got a moral code. The Bible says there's a moral code written on their hearts. Dr. Lester Summerall, many years, it was a, a uh, many years ago, was a, um, a missionary. And to validate this point, 
he, as he was ministering to someone who had never heard the gospel, never heard of Jesus, never heard of the scriptures, and he was trying to make a point that would allow him to minister, and he, the man was uh, leading a donkey. He was, so he was like a peasant or a very poor, poor farmer, and Dr. Summerall as a missionary was ministering to him and, and trying to convey to him the truths about the Word of God, certainly the context of the commandments of God that lead us to Jesus Christ, he said to him, he said, well, now he said, how would you like it if I just came and I took away the donkey that you're leading? He said, no, that, you can't do that. That's not right. So that shows right there written on his heart that there was an understanding. It's not right for someone to take an asset that doesn't belong to him. Right? That's called stealing. He said, do you, are you married? He said, yes, I'm married. He said, well, how would you like it if I formed a relationship with your wife and then actually slept with her? And, of course, he, certainly he wouldn't like that to take place either. And he said, well, that's adultery. So he just was showing us that even people that don't know God, even the people that you work amongst every week that may have not been brought up in Sunday school, but deep in the consciousness of their heart, right, there is some measure of the truth of God that's been scripted there. And you can take it and work with it. So we have the Torah, the law, but then we have the law of consciousness that we can talk about a little bit farther here in just a little while. Let's go down. Righteousness. We're going to kind of get there today. Are y'all with me here today? Righteousness means being in a state approved of God. That's going to be a key word for us to understand in a few moments. Let's go farther. Justified. And actually, this is probably the heart of where I'm going because this is the heart of what we're teaching on Wednesday nights right now. We're teaching about justification. And it simply means to render just or innocent, that it is actually a judicial term that Paul, writing in Greek, when he writes the epistle, gives us a judicial term as if the, 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 the hammer of the judge has fallen and he has pronounced his decree. He's pronounced his sentence, and in this context, justified, one is rendered just or innocent. Let's go farther. Redemption. Redemption means to ransom in full by payment. We'll talk about that in a moment. We hear the word redemption all throughout the New Testament. Right? You are not your own today, church family. Can I remind you of that? You've been bought with a price. The Bible says you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Right? The most precious element. You've heard me talk about it many, many times. You can search in the earth's core, and you can dig out titanium, and you can dig out gold, and you can dig out silver, and rubies, and crystals, and diamonds. But all of that was not sufficient enough in God's economy for God to settle the debt that he had with man. But oh, the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. Man, I feel like preaching now. When I start talking about the blood, I get a little bit excited. I can't help it. Redemption, I don't know about you, but my sins have been paid for today. Let's go down. And you got to know that. Now, this one is not a word that you will use most likely on a regular basis in your normal or your natural uh, vocabulary. But if you study the, either the King James English Bible or the New King James, you'll see this word appear uh, not often but occasionally, and it's propitiation. And at the original root core of the word, it simply means, or the, the root of the word means simply the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat was the part of the Ark of the Covenant. Is everybody familiar enough? Say, Pastor, I'm not really understanding. Harrison Ford... Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'll repackage it for just a moment if I need to. JoJo reminded me this week I almost got arrested in Israel when I tried to smuggle out a little uh, replica of the Ark of the Covenant. It, wasn't, it was actually bought in a, in a tourist shop, but I forgot that it was in my luggage and it was metal. 
And I went through the scanner, and they pulled me over to the side, and I said, I don't have anything. And she was running that thing, and it was beeping, and I had the Ark of the Covenant in there. They've been searching for it for thousands of years, and I've got it. It's at my house. <laughs> but it's this little replica, but really the mercy seat, was the, it was actually the lid. And it was there between the cherubims. If you have the mental image of two angels with their wings folded inward towards each other. And it was upon the mercy seat that on the day of atonement under the, uh, uh, under the law that the high priest would sprinkle the blood. And so it, it was there that the blood of the atoning sacrifice was placed. So when you see the word propitiation in Scripture, it's mercy seat or the atoning sacrifice or the blood of the atoning sacrifice. In essence, you have redemption that we'll highlight here shortly, but what was the payment of that redemption? What was the actual currency? It was the blood of the atoning sacrifice, the blood of the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's go just a little bit farther. Forbearance is a word we'll touch on lightly today, which simply means restraint. God has willfully restrained himself, which I'll highlight in a moment. Circumcised is a key word in Scripture. It's the cutting away of the foreskin. I'll let that alone, and we'll just press on. But it's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, and it's the command of the law. So it's throughout all the New Testament. You cannot study and know the Scriptures if you don't have some measure of what circumcision meant. It, it wasn't for medical purposes. It was a sign. All Jews that were born of the natural seed of Abraham or who were coming in as a proselyte into Judaism had to be circumcised, because, and it was a command of the Mosaic Law. And lastly, just a couple of more. Uh, this is a Jew, which simply for our purposes means a natural seed of the natural lineage of Abraham. Right? And lastly, the Gentile, which the Gentile would simply mean the nations. In essence, in God's uh, view of the world at that time, under that dispensation, you had the Jew and the Gentiles. So if you were not of the natural seed of Abraham, then you were a, didn't matter whether you were a Syrian or Egyptian, uh, didn't matter uh, whether you are a Phoenician, mattered not, you were considered a Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Those are very important definitions that you've got to have a little measure of understanding because as you begin to read the Word of God, sometimes these words are going to appear, and if you don't understand what they mean, then you can't make the application, and you can't understand the author's intent, right? And I'm talking about the gospel, not according to the assemblies of God. I'm not talking about my gospel, the gospel of Lee Brown. But I came to share with you today what Paul said. He said, according to my gospel. Now, Paul the apostle is unique in his ministry. He did not walk with Jesus, did he? He was not with Jesus around a campfire at night. He wasn't there on the day that Jesus was betrayed uh, and the day that he was uh, ultimately sacrificed. He was a young student in those days, studying under the, the uh, most popular uh, uh, teacher of the day, Gamaliel. It was there that he learned Judaism, and he was astute in Judaism, and he excelled above all the others. But you know the story on the Damascus Road. As a zealot for Judaism, to, con to go against this new sect that had emerged within Christianity, uh, or excuse me, with, uh, had emerged within Judaism that they were calling the sect of the Nazarene. This man, Saul of Tarsus, with letters in his hand from the high priest, has now made his way towards Damascus where he's going to charge all those of that. So he's going to go house to house. You know what Saul was at that day? He was a religious terrorist. 
If you think about what ISIS does in the Middle East today, I'm telling you that to a degree is what Saul was. And along the road on horseback, the Bible says that a light shone brighter than the noonday sun. Come on, somebody. And this man, Jesus, stepped out of eternity. And all the men fell off of their beast. And Paul was blinded, but he heard a voice speaking to him. And through the brilliance of that light, Christ appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, you know the story. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And he said, who art thou, Lord? Remember what he said? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he said, I want you to arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou should do. And after Paul uh, continued to grow in his discipleship, we know from our studies that he went into the region of Arabia for three years. And it is our belief, and it is the belief of theologians, that it was there that God gave him what we call the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace, if you want me to package it up for you very quickly, would be simply this, and that is that's the gospel that Paul preached. He's preaching a gospel of grace, that God is merciful, and yet God is also loving and he's kind, but he's also the judge, the righteous judge. But we're living in a generation and a dispensation where he is the God of all grace, right? And we, uh, we, we come near to him by virtue of grace today, amen? And so we started studying this on Wednesday nights, and we arrived at this new conclusion or this new uh, subject matter about justification. And did you know that was a part of the gospel? And for the sake of time, let me just kind of uh, put some things in a nutshell before I turn you to the book of Romans. Paul said this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, as he wrote to the Corinthian people, a church that he had birthed himself, preaching at the synagogue and later uh, preaching in the community, he said this as he wrote an epistle to address problems later. He said, you know, when I was among you, he said, I determined not to know anything. This most learned him. Didn't he said, I determined not to know anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. There were some that were saying that they were a part of certain sects within even the body of Christ by virtue of who baptized them. And Paul stepped back from baptizing and said, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you, but maybe a couple of people. He said, because God did not send me to baptize, but God sent me to preach the gospel, to preach the cross of Christ, to preach what thing is a stumbling block to the Jew. And to the Greek, it's foolishness. But unto us who are saved, he said, it is the power of God. There's no message like it, the preaching of the cross of Calvary. That's the gospel that Paul preached. Well, the Bible gives us a little quick glance into what a sermon was like for the Apostle Paul. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I'm not talking about the record in the book of Acts where he preached till midnight. You said, that reminds me of one of the sermons that my pastor preaches. But we have a little glimpse on his first missionary journey. So I want to give that to you. You'll have to read it later on your own. But it's a little glimpse because this is how Paul presented the gospel. He's in Antioch of Pisidia, not of Syria. If you're in our Wednesday nights, you know what I'm talking about. It's more towards Asia Minor. It's not uh, the Syria that we're familiar with today. So he's in that Antioch region, and he goes to the synagogue, which is his normal pattern. So this is his first missionary journey. And there, after they've read the law, somebody had stood up to read just like Sister Judy. That's the pattern of the Jew. Because these were two, was Paul and Barnabas. And because they were new, they were asked if they had any word for the people. Paul said, y'all got a word. Don't you like that? Come on. I mean, I'm, I didn't come here to say something, but I got something to say. That's what Paul said. And so Paul, Paul said, yeah, I got a word for you. And so then Paul, 
He spoke to the people this way. He said, to the sons of Abraham, to the children of Israel, and all who fear God among you. Who was that? Aren't we here to learn today? Uh, who was that? He said, those were the proselytes. Those were the ones that the Jews had impacted positively with the revelation that there was one true God. And all the cultures of the Grecian cultures of that day, there was a pantheon of gods, a plurality of gods. But the Jew had stood up and said, there's but one God. Right? And that doctrine had influenced others. And so in the synagogue, it wasn't just Jews, but it were Gentiles who also feared God. And so he took them on a narrative. He took them back to Egypt. Read it on your own at a later date in time. He took them back to Egypt. He took them to when God birthed a nation out of the womb of Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea, took them through the land of Can- took them through the wilderness and into the land of Canaan. And it was there that God raised up a king for them by the name of Saul. And from there, God raised up out of, after God moved that kingdom over and raised for them a king named David. And then he begins to narrow it. So he's very broad. He's very brief, but he then he begins to, narrow, begins to narrow. And then he says, you know, after David, of the lineage of David, God promised that one on David's seed would sit upon his throne. And he said, I'm here to tell you about that son of David has come. And he said, they have taken him, and by wicked hands they crucified him, and they hung him on a tree. And maybe some of them had even heard about the testimony of this man Jesus that had been killed at Jerusalem a few years earlier. But Paul stood there in the midst. He said, but I want to tell you today that God raised him from the dead. How many know the power of the resurrection is at the core of our belief system? There's a cross, and then there's a resurrection. Come on, if we have the cross, we have God's mercy and His sympathy, but we have no life, no new renewed life in us. But because the Bible says God did not subject Him to see corruption, but on the third day, He stepped out of the grave. Come on, somebody, the resurrected Savior, you and I now. Come on, we are begotten again today by a lively hope according to the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is alive today. Hallelujah. And so Paul is preaching this. And then he says this, it is through this man. Matter of fact, let's put that on the screen if we would. It's in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I think I asked y'all if y'all are with me there. We're waiting. We're waiting. I can quote it. I'll do my best. I'll just press on for the sake of time just very quickly. He said this. He said, through this man, there's forgiveness of sins. He said, and through this man, you can be justified the way that you could not be justified through the law of Moses. And that's the doctrine that cut the Jew to the heart because he believed that in the Mosaic law, he could find some sense of justification before God. And the gospel that Paul preached was that you cannot find justification through the requirements of the law. I don't care how many precepts you can find and that you can keep You cannot keep it adequately nor sufficiently to rectify the situation between you and God. Right? The only way, Paul said, is through faith in this man, Jesus Christ. How many know that's the gospel that he preached? Let's go to Romans chapter number 3 for a moment. You hold it there. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to watch my time. Are you all with me today? And you're going to hold it right there, and I'm going to get you there. i got just a few minutes. Man, Shatakariamosia. What is going on here? Let's see, what does that mean that it's actually, if it's 11.45 right now, we sprang forward, it's 10.45? I'm telling you, by grace, that means I should just have your body naturally. It's not noon yet. You can't be hungry yet. Are y'all feeling, I I got another hour to go. Get my money's worth in here. Book of the letter to the book of Romans. 
excuse me, the letter to the people of Romans, what we call the book of Romans. And I'll have to hasten to get there lest I leave this message hanging in the balance, and I cannot do that today. But there's a process when we arrive in the third chapter that Paul has taken the people on. And I'll take it and I'll just give you a brief summary and then we're going to just quickly go down through these 11 verses just quickly, quickly, because that's the gospel that Paul preached. But when Paul begins in this first chapter of the book of Romans, he just kind of just brings people into a stark contrast and just a reality is this right here. Man is wicked. If you read it on your own time, Paul lists in the first chapter, he said, man that has degenerated since the fall of Adam is exceedingly wicked. And he's describing what the Jew that's reading this, he's believing it's the Gentile that he's describing it. And Paul's actually just describing mankind in general. He's just talking about, he said, they're idolaters, they're adulterers, they're effeminate. Are y'all hearing me today? Uh, he said, they're abusers of themselves with mankind. They have a form of godliness. They're, they're God-haters. Are y'all hearing me? Saying, Pastor, you sound like our culture. Well, it's because there's nothing new under the sun, Right? If you're not changed by virtue of the blood of Jesus, then you continue as since the beginning of creation. And he said they're, they're haters of parents, they're lovers of money. Paul lists all of these atrocities. And ultimately arriving at the conclusion that really, and the, the Jew especially who's reading this, that mankind deserves a just recompense, that man is sinful and guilty in one sense, that he's writing there, the point that he's making in the first chapter. But then Paul switches the narrative because he knows he's speaking to the Jew first. And then he warns the Jew because he knows the Jew is interpreting that as a, the life of a Gentile, and, but the Jew is determined righteous because he believes he's keeping the law. So then Paul shows a little bit of a comparison and a contrast, and he says this real quickly. First a comparison, then a contrast. He says this real quickly. He said, look, he said, if you're a Jew and you're resting in the law and you're boasting about that you don't do this and you don't do that, but you still do this. In his essence, he's saying you're, you're keeping four-fifths of the law, but you're still missing it because you're still breaking it in this other area. He's saying you're condemning the adulterer while you yourself steal from temples. Right? He's just ultimately saying you're a hypocrite. You're walking in hypocrisy because you're trying to justify yourself according to your righteous fulfillment of the law, and all the while that you do so, you're still breaking the law. And then Paul takes us in the second chapter and, and into the third chapter, and I've got to go so quickly I won't be able to arrive there. Then he then goes into the, the law and the scriptures about that the world itself is guilty before God. In essence, Paul said this, that mankind is without excuse. That all of us, because remember what I said earlier, that all of us have a God consciousness written on our heart. That there's some measure of a God consciousness, even the pagan who's never heard of the name of Jesus, there's still some measure of it. And that becomes a law unto themselves. The second chapter, as he transitions into the third chapter, Paul said that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're still going to stand before God in judgment one day. And, and he said, if ultimately, you're going to need an atoning sacrifice because if you go through that third chapter, Paul here brings us into a place where that all men everywhere are guilty before God. Can I tell you this today, and I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's none righteous, no, not one. That, that we were all sinners and had gone astray from God. That every man everywhere had sinned and breached the holy requirement that God had and the expectation that God had in his expectation for his creation. And so whether or not you were an adulterer or whether you are a murderer, you might still be a thief and a liar. Right? And James said if you break in one part, you break the whole thing. Right? And so what we got to be careful is we seek for justification. 
We need justification. But you know what people do in our culture and what people have always done? They justify themselves in their own mind. I'm telling you, if I could preach to this generation, I'll tell you what, they got a law. I'm telling you, you live up here in the hill country, there's a good old boy law. Right? We get a, well, as long as we don't do something so bad that we think we're okay, and then we're going to die and we're going to go high up on that mountain. Let me tell you, you may not go high up on that mountain until, unless you knew Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Right? And while you've uh, got a Dukes of Hazard, uh, you know, uh, theology in your mind, that's your law. In that, that you, you, you know, you, do, you, you justify some things while condemning other people for the things that they do. I came along to tell you today, I was eight years old when I got saved. I was eight years old, and you know what? I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I had not murdered anyone. I had, was not an adulterer, and I was not a fornicator at eight years of age. But let me tell you today, I was lost and without God. I was born without a communion with God because of the sin of Adam. And I needed a propitiation and an atoning sacrifice for my sin. That's the gospel that Paul preaches. That all of us are guilty before God. So what's the answer? Jew or Gentile? What's the hope? We're going to close with this today. Starting there in the 19th verse, Jared, we'll just walk it down. i got to move real quickly because y'all are on borrowed, I'm on borrowed time already. Let's go down 19. But let's see this. I want to know what Paul preaches. Don't you? He said, so now look at this. That whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. If you don't know you're guilty, then you won't know... You won't know that you need to be redeemed. The guilt by the condemnation is the equivalent of pain in the body. If you don't have pain in the body, you can cut yourself and live your life and bleed out and die, not knowing you had a gaping wound. The guilt was necessary to show us that we were all sinners before God. The law condemned us because we had all failed. Let's go on down just a little bit further. Therefore, Paul says, by the deeds of the law, even though you have striven in your heart, speaking to the Jew, to keep the law, here's what the author Paul, the preacher of the gospel is saying. He said that no flesh is going to be what? What's justified, declared innocent in his sight by virtue of the law. Because the purpose of the law is what? The knowledge of sin. It's simply the knowledge of sin, he's saying. It's the awareness that you need to know that you're a lawbreaker. That's the purpose of the law. But then he shares with us the gospel. Oh, we ought to run right here on the 21st verse. Right here in the 21st verse, Paul just begins to just open it up. He said, but now is a great time. Now is an exciting season that we're living in. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. And can you imagine Paul preaching this? It was like the curtain being rolled back for the very first time because every Jew had striven to keep the law and only to fail. Every Gentile had a consciousness of God but knew that they had sinned against God and could not find peace with God. But here's the apostle Paul standing up and preaching and now he's writing and he said, I'm going to tell you about a righteousness. You can be declared uh, right standing before God. You can be acquitted. You can be justified and it's apart from the law but it was witnessed by the law what was that the prophet Habakkuk or excuse me the prophet Hosea the prophet Hosea said these words he said the just shall live by faith and Paul had already previously quoted that in Romans chapter 1 when he said to be justified it's by faith in 
Christ. Let's go further. Y'all stay with me for just a moment. I know you say, Pastor, I just don't get that excited about these things as you do. Well, the air lies on your part. I'm just going to be honest with you. The air lies on you because if you'll look closely enough at it, if you'll look closely enough, if you'll get along with it, and when that guilt begins to try to come back on you, and when that condemnation begins to try to come back on you, and when you're not educated in who you are in Christ and what he accomplished, then you'll live your Christian life beaten down, come on, and beat up and, and always feeling guilty. But when you know he justified you, when you know that he declared you righteous, when you know that he called you out of sin and he made you a new creature in his son and he put his indwelling Holy Spirit on the inside of you, then you'll lift your head up every day and say, I thank God today. Come on, I share. I thank God for the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Apart from the law, key word there, believe. Believe means you got to trust in it. Let me share with you real quickly. I'm, I know I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm on, but, but you know, the new pastor of discipleship said we need to be discipled, so I'm going to do that here today. Let me just ask you, let me show you what the word believe means so you'll know that. I want you to believe in and trust Christ for full redemption. Not believe in the existence of God. Not believe that just that God sent His Son. But I want you to trust Him. Let me give you an example. Going out on Highway 110, we drive across a bridge on your way to Wilburn, correct? Many of you remember 1989 in November that there was what was called the Swinging Bridge or the Winkley Bridge that fell when a group of students uh, and uh, church members from, I believe, uh, Illinois had come down and got it rocking. I actually happened to be there that day. I'd witnessed, I didn't witness the bridge falling, but I did witness them take two bodies out of the water. So you can go and you can, there's a, a monument there to testify of what took place. And also you can see what the, the, where the bridge was on one side of the bank and where the bridge was on the other side of the bank, correct? Now, I've done a little bit of carpentry work. JoJo and I can go, we can start to build a bridge in its place. And we can labor for many years with hammer and nail and wood, just with two by fours. And you could say to yourself, you know what? There's a bridge out there. I believe there's a bridge out there. There's a bridge. But let me ask you this if JoJo and I built a bridge out of two by four across the river, would you believe in it to trust in it enough to get in your vehicle and drive over it? Now, now, now listen, you say, but I believe in it. See, that's what the world, that's why, that's where doctrine's important. Because the world believes in God. Your friends and family believe in Jesus. They believe that He came, but they've not trusted in, they've not put all that they are upon His sacrifice. And we bring them to our churches and don't teach them how important doctrine is. It's very important. It's the difference in life and death. You've got to believe. He said it's to all who believe, Jew or Gentile. There is simply no difference. Let's go down quickly. I know I've got to hurry today. 24, here's the or 23rd. We've all sinned. Who can say that today? Well, I can say that. I don't have a problem saying that. I've sinned and I came short of the glory of God. My righteousness was as filthy rags. 24th verse, let's follow it down. We're justified. There's that word again. We're justified freely by his grace. What does that mean, Pastor? Remember what the definition was? This is why it all comes together. You're declared innocent. There's an acquittal that's been made on your behalf. What? How? By his grace. By his grace, by his kindness. You didn't deserve it, but God was merciful and kind. Through what? How did that take place, Pastor? How did that transaction take place? 
It was because of the redemption that was in Christ Jesus. God still demanded a payment. Let's look at this. we got to go farther in closing this message. It says this, that redemption was set forth as what? There's that word, propitiation. There's your atoning sacrifice by what? There's the atoning sacrifice. It's what? By his blood. And we by faith. We believe in it by faith. And it demonstrates his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, his restraint, God passes over the sins that have been previously committed. Let's look at this 26th verse. And I may have to close for the sake of time. To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. Look at this. That he, being God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to expound upon this. Dr. Brassville touched upon it on a Wednesday night with us, and it just bears us tagging with it. Let's talk about God in closing today. How many know God is loving, and God is kind, and God is merciful? How many believe that today? I believe that, don't you? I'm closing. I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll shut my notes down. I know I have to. For sake of time, I have to. It's good. It deserves more time, but I've got to know who I'm dealing with here. You know, in the old days, us preachers had to worry about a songbook being thrown at you. know that we, we took those out for the sake of the preacher. Ha, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but true. Let's look at this real quickly for just a minute. God is loving. He's kind and he's merciful. But God is righteous. He's holy. And he's just. His heaven is holy. His heaven is undefiled, but we were defiled. You can't come into his heaven defiled. You've got to come in undefiled. And so Dr. Brassfield used that an analogy. I think he shared a little bit of it about that God is merciful, and we know that he's merciful. And someone said to him, said, why, don't you, why didn't God just forgive us of our sins? God could have just forgiven us of our sins, and that would keep with who he is. It would make him merciful but it wouldn't make him just. Because he used the analogy that if you steal a television from me and I, out of my kindness and mercy, can forgive you, and I'm merciful, but you're still a thief, right? Is that right? And thus the situation is not just. It would only be just as if you are able to go down and to buy a television and bring it back to me, right? And then the situation has been rectified and it's now just, right? Does that make sense? And so, out of this, real quickly, here's the power of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Oh, thank God for Jesus. The fragrance of his presence should fill our spirits who he is. That God demanded a payment because he's just. He's just. No man could satisfy. No man. There was nothing of value that man could offer. God put a system in place that asked for the blood of bullocks and goats. But it did not satisfy that righteous judgment that was contained in the heart of God because he is judge and he is just and he cannot justify sin. But there came a day that God shrouded himself in flesh and he died on a cross called Calvary. And his blood flowed out of seven fountains that day and it became, it became the necessary payment in the transaction. Man had sinned and deserved death, but this man, Jesus, died as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And now God simply has said this. God 
is still just because he judged sin. He judged sin in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So he's still just, but because Jesus was a substitutionary sacrifice, he can also be the justifier. And now he can justify you who have sinned and have no means of payment because Jesus took your place and suffered the judgment of God. And now you and I can be declared fully innocent in his eyes. Fully innocent. And to go one step farther than this, listen to this. Aaron, would you join me in closing here today? Not only can you be, will you be declared innocent, but you'll be in right standing with God. Did you hear that? Because of this man, Jesus Christ, because he took the place and he suffered the wrath of God, God has accepted his payment. Does that make sense here today? That's simple theology. That's justification. God has justified you if you have faith in Christ. What's the key component for us? Believe. But not the law, not adhere to the law, not the Torah or your own moral code because we've all failed. But the key is to trust in the cross of Calvary. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to release all of us from our sin and indebtedness to God. And you know what Romans 5 and I know out here at the end, I'm just, borrow, I'm just digging into the bag of truth and just pulling out random nuggets. Romans 5 says this, we have peace with God. Isn't that exciting? I'm glad we have peace with God. I mean, God is not angry at me. God's anger, come on, was relinquished on the cross. He released it there. Now, is there a wrath yet to come? There is a wrath yet to come. And you know, all men will stand before God one day and the people who say, Pastor, who's going to suffer the wrath of God? Those who have turned their back. Those who have heard the truth. Those who have, it's been shown to them, and they're, they, they've turned their back on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. There'll be no substitute on that day. The atonement's already taken place. You're either justified before God, or you'll stand before Him one day as the guilty, not as the innocent. I believe I'll stand before God one day, won't you? I believe I'll still have to give account of my works. But I won't stand in front of him and him trying to decide my fate, guilty or innocent. It's already been settled. He's already declared me innocent. He's already declared me acquitted. And he's already declared me righteous. You know what, church family, you know what that is? That's the gospel that Paul preached. I don't know about you, I want to call that my gospel. That's what Paul said. That's my gospel. I'll tell you what, that's my gospel today. I believe every one of us, if we'll look more closely at it, if you'll study it, if you'll set your heart, it will produce a liberty in your life unlike anything you've ever known. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Many Christians, even Christians, still struggle with self-condemnation. Don't they? Still struggle with guilt. Can I, I shared this with you before. I'm going to share it again, but I... I don't like this phrase right here, I, I forgave myself. I don't like it. And the reason why, and you say, Pastor, don't you understand why when I've hurt somebody and I've tried to move on, I had to forgive myself. Yeah, in the world's view, maybe that's the word. But see, no, if I forgive myself, then I made myself the judge. So I don't stand here today. I've hurt people. I stand before you today, 
innocent because the judge announced me innocent. So that gives me a confidence that me walking around trying to forgive myself. Acquittal happens when the judge announces you innocent. God has announced you innocent. You've got to look at what he did, not what you do. Right? That just becomes another work, another law that will ultimately bring you back into condemnation. But when you cast yourself upon the mercy of God and you trust him with all your heart and all your faith in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, then God has pronounced that you are free. He that the Son has set free, you are free indeed. Free to live your life to the glory of God. And for a person among us today who may have not ever put their faith in Christ, let me tell you, let me tell you, the one thing that's going to separate you from God is your lack of looking to Jesus. You can come to church. You can hear the sermon. You can worship. You can get all caught up, and you can do all that. But let me tell you, if you have not petitioned him for the remission of sins, then I'm telling you, you've got a form of godliness, but you've denied the true power of the gospel. You must submit yourself to God's redemptive requirement. Believe in the blood of Jesus on the cross. How many know that's the gospel? I'm just being honest with you. That's the gospel. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. No one's looking around for a moment of time. I prayed and I've asked the Lord to help me here in closing. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. I didn't come along.